Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this morning is on page 1029 of the Bibles in the Pews, which is the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to read the first 20 verses together. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, 
John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you do indeed speak to us. Father, would you help us this morning to listen and to respond to you in repentance and faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, my name's Peter Bramhill, I'm the student worker here, and we're going to, in the next few minutes, think about that passage in Luke chapter 3, so you might want to pick your Bible up and turn back to Luke chapter 3. Now, preparation is something which we all do, isn't it? Maybe you have believed the saying that if you fail to prepare, then prepare to fail. So we prepare when people come round. In our house, that's generally a mad scramble, kind of like this, to get things tidied away and hidden away under, under cupboards and in places where the people can't see. We pray, prepare for big events. I was speaking to Peter Turnbull, our music director, and he said it suddenly struck him that he better start preparing for the arrival of his third child, which is quite imminent. Or we encourage people to prepare for marriage. Now we tell them they've got to stop flirting with other people. They're to love each other faithfully now. Or we tell people to prepare in so many different ways. And when John the Baptist came, he told people to prepare. He was encouraging people to get ready. And in this section in Luke chapter 3, that's what we see. We see John's ministry of preparation. A ministry driven by the fact that God's word came to him. Now you saw that in verse 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Now the wording marks John out as a prophet. A prophet who, you see in verse 1, ministered in a particular location, a particular time. You see, as we saw last week, Luke wants us to be really clear. He's writing actual history. And so John came... And he receives that word from God and he starts preaching. And we have recorded here an example of John's preaching and why he's preaching. It's interesting, I think you could, you could say from Luke's account here that we maybe have got John the Baptist's name wrong. Rather than John the Baptist, we should call him John the Preacher. Because that's what we see him doing all the way through this passage. Look at verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He went preaching. He is, in the words of verse 4, a voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We see an example from verse 7 of his preaching. And then in verse 18, the preaching is described as good news. You see, John came and preached good news. And the good news that he preached was this, prepare. And this morning we will flesh out what it means to prepare. We will see what we are preparing for and why we should prepare and how we should prepare. This is what we'll see in summary form. Prepare for the coming of the Messiah by being humbled in repentance and showing the fruit of repentance. So firstly, prepare for the coming Messiah. You see, what are we preparing for? 
And that's explained in the words of Isaiah in verse 4. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming and so prepare, says John. Now if we'd been reading from chapter 1, we'd have known that that's what John was going to do. His his father Zechariah said about him in chapter 1 verse 76 this. He says, and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. The Lord is coming, so prepare, said John. And as we read on in Luke, we will see that the person that he was speaking of, this Lord, this Messiah he's preparing for, is none other than Jesus. And when the Lord comes, it will be unstoppable. Look at, look at verse five. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. Uh, you know, recently I've been doing a bit more uh, bike riding around uh, the area. And one thing that really strikes you when you ride your bike here is that there's lots of hills. And you go down the hill and you have to go back up. And then you get to the Sheffield roads and realize that they're not particularly smooth. Uh, all these obstacles, which mean I have to slow down. And when you look at me cycling, you think, what a pathetic sight that is. <laughs> but do you see what happens when the Lord comes? All those obstacles which make me look so pathetic are just swept away. Mountains are leveled. Valleys are filled in. Crooked roads made straight. Rough roads made smooth. This is a picture of the unstoppable coming of the Messiah. Nothing stands in his way. It's quite an awesome description of the coming of the Lord. And when this unstoppable Lord comes, two things happen. Firstly, you see in verse 6, salvation. See, when the Lord comes, people will see God's salvation. The context of the quote that is here from Isaiah is that God's people were going to be in exile because of their sin. Their sin had estranged them from God, and the exile would physically and graphically demonstrate that. God dwelt symbolically in Jerusalem over here, and because of their sin, the people were going to be expelled away from God into other lands. The people were being scattered away from God. And the exile is a picture of what all mankind is like. All mankind have rejected God, rebelled against him, had nothing to do with him. They all stand in opposition to God, rejecting him and wanting nothing to do with him. They are all therefore estranged from God. But the Messiah is coming to create a way back creating a road by which we can be saved. We will see the salvation of God. And it is God here who is taking the initiative to save. It is quite remarkable that all people will see this salvation. You see, the coming of the Messiah will bring salvation which will be offered to all. That's what we see in Jesus, isn't it? God offering salvation to all people. In chapter 2, Jesus was taken to the temple by his parents and there was a man there called Simeon who saw Jesus coming in. And when he saw Jesus, this is what he says. You might want to look back to chapter 2 and verse 30 and 31. You'll see this. And this is what Simeon says when he sees Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
You see, when Simeon saw Jesus, he saw in him the one who was going to bring salvation to all people, Jew and Gentile. And when Jesus comes, he demonstrates salvation. Demonstrates the way back for those who are estranged from God because of their sin. And all people would see this salvation. It's on offer for all. Even you. As we read through the gospel, you see he offers the salvation to sinners and tax collectors. The worst of the worst, if you like. He offers salvation to those estranged from God. And so when the Messiah comes, he will offer salvation. But as we read through that, you'll see the Messiah also brings judgment when he comes. Now, in some sense, that's the implication of every obstacle being removed from before him, of the hills being flattened and the valleys filled. If you are standing against the Lord at his coming, then you will be swept away by his awesome power. But you also see it in John's words. Look at verse 7. The words here are meant to shock us, make us sit up and think about it. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? You see what John's saying? There is a coming wrath. People do need to prepare and that's the right thing to do because this wrath is coming. There is judgment coming, says John, so prepare for it. He goes on to say that this judgment is coming imminently. Look at verse 9. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John says there is a coming judgment. The axe is already there, ready to swing. And John wants us to be prepared for this coming of the Messiah. You see, salvation and judgment come when the Messiah comes. And John explains a little bit more of what that will look like in verse, from verse 15. Have a look at that now. The people are wondering, is John really the Christ? Maybe he's the one. But John says, no, he's just preparing for one who is much greater than him. And he then explains what the Messiah will do when he comes. You see, he says again, the Messiah will bring salvation, but also judgment. And it's described as a separation. And see verse 16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When the Messiah comes, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that is that there's be one baptism, but it will affect people differently. Some people will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, some people with fire. A picture of separation, salvation and judgment. Now it's explained further in verse 17, look at that. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now here we are to picture the harvest now the field of corn has been harvested and now is a great mound that lies in the sun. The pile contains the valuable wheat and the worthless chaff and the farmer is going to come and separate them. The valuable wheat is gathered and taken into the barn while the chaff is burnt up. It's a quite a striking picture, isn't it? That's what will happen when the Messiah comes. People will be separated. Some gathered some burnt up. Now you might ask, when does this happen? 
You see, as John preaches, he thinks that this coming, this separation is going to come imminently, as soon as the Messiah comes. And yet what we see as we read through the rest of Luke's gospel is that Jesus does indeed show God's salvation. He does indeed show the way back to God, and yet we don't seem to see this separation that's been spoken of. And as we read into Acts, we start to see how it is going to all come to pass. You see, Jesus promises that he will return in the future. And when he does return, that will be the point when this separation will happen. You see, that separation will happen and the call to prepare is still imminent because we do not know when that day will come. Now, as Paul says in Athens, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You see, there is still an urgent call to prepare for this coming. You could say in Jesus, the final dice has been cast. The next thing which shall happen is this separation. So prepare. Prepare by, as John will say, being humbled in repentance. That's our second point. Prepare for the coming of the Messiah by being humbled in repentance. You see, you prepare by repenting. That's what John preaches to people when he comes. He says that you should repent. You see, in verse 3, John came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the context of seeing the Messiah coming helps us to understand what this means. People were to realize their standing before God. The people in Israel's time would have recognized that as they realized they were in exile, estranged from God. And yet we should also realize that we are those who stand estranged from God naturally and need to prepare by coming back to him. The people to recognize their standing before God. That's why John says to him in verse 7, you brood of vipers. It's not the most tactful way to start a sermon, I don't think. But John's trying to grab their attention, see your position before God. You brood of vipers, he said. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Who warned you to flee from God's judgment? The wrath is coming and the repentance is therefore important. A repentance will mean reorientating yourself with respect to God. As we go through Luke, we'll see more and more of what that means. And we will see people who recognize that they have that need before God. Particularly, we will see the tax collectors realizing that. People who are poor, In chapter 7, we will see a woman who was known by everybody around her as sinful. It must be a terrible thing for her to be known as a sinful woman. They recognize their need before God and they come to Jesus. They reorientate themselves. And as they come to Jesus, they find forgiveness. You see, as Jesus himself will say, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come to call sinners to repentance. And I wonder if you're here this morning, if you've recognized that you are a sinner before God who needs to keep turning back to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you recognize that you're in real need before the coming of the Messiah? Well, repent. Change your mind about God and do that with a view to seeing that your sins will be forgiven by him. You know, the judgment of God is a reality that we should flee. 
And yet we must see that God himself provides the way for us to be forgiven. We're forgiven as we turn in repentance to the Lord Jesus. And it's turning to him and seeing in him the one who has the authority and the ability to forgive sins that is so wonderful. So repent. Turn to him and seek forgiveness. The sad thing in Luke is that we'll often see people who are self-sufficient, who think they're okay and who will not turn and repent. They will not prepare and it's a travesty. You see it of Herod in verses 19 and 20. John preaches to him and do you see what he keeps on doing? He doesn't do anything, does he? He carries on doing what he has always done and adds to it by locking John up in prison as well. And by the time we get to Acts 4, we'll see that he is described as one who is an enemy of God, who stands against God. You see, we need to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah by being humbled in repentance. And when we humbly repent, when people humbly repent, they will show the fruit of repentance. That's the third point. Those who humbly repent will show the fruit of repentance. And when the people came to John in in verse 7 and 8, it's as if John doesn't really believe their sincerity. And you see his exhortation to them, therefore. It produced fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, when you repent, when you turn back to God, when you reorientate yourself, that will be seen in how you act. You see, when you turn back to God, there must be change. The change of life will demonstrate the repentance. It's what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 26. Now he's being tried in front of King Agrippa and he says this, Acts 26 verse 20. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. You see, as Paul says, so John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I don't know about you, but often I think we can feel quite nervous about this kind of preaching, can't we? To say you must do something to prove your repentance. And we don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to say that we can earn our salvation. And so we shy away from telling each other to change our lives because we need to be living differently. And yet, don't you know some people who you think, are you really a Christian? And you say with your mouth that you're a Christian, that you've turned back to God, and yet the way that you live just seems so inappropriate. Their mouths say one thing, but their lives demonstrate something entirely different. And we fear for them, and yet we don't say anything to them because we don't want to be seen as being legalistic. Or maybe you hear this kind of call and you think it's not really for you. The Jews who were listening to John were warned against such kind of thinking. They were warned not to think that their biological connection with Abraham had prepared them. And you see verse 9. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You see, they needed to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, we mustn't think that, oh, I don't need to produce fruit. I don't really need to change because I'm okay because of my biological connections or my social status. Do not think you do not need to prepare because you've been baptized and confirmed and therefore I'm okay. 
Do not think that you've no need to prepare because you've always come to this church. Show the fruit in keeping with your repentance. Faith without works is dead. And if we think that maybe our friends have never repented because their lifestyle contradicts what they say, then speak to them. That's the most loving thing that you can do for them. To say to them, your lifestyle doesn't really seem to match up to what you're saying with your lips about turning back to God. Have you really repented? Now think about what you're doing to, to them at that point. Are you not pushing them to see Christ again? And if they say, yes, I have repented, I have put my trust in Christ, well, well and good. They have confirmed again that they are trusting in the Messiah for salvation. And yet if they say to you, well, no, I've never really done that. I've never really understood the claims of the gospel. I've never really seen why I should change my life. Well, you have an opportunity then to explain to them the wonder of the coming Messiah. Explain the gospel to them and encourage them to prepare. And so John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And we see what that fruit looks like as he speaks to the, uh, the crowds and the tax collectors and the soldiers. As they, uh, each of those three groups comes to uh, John and says, what must we do? You see in verse 11, we see what John says to the crowd. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. Now it's a, a, quite a simple call, is it not? It's a call here to share what we have with others. To be generous with what we have with other people. The tax collectors then come and ask what they should do. Now the tax collectors were the, the worst of the worst, if you like, in terms of sinners at that time. The lowest of the lows, what people considered them as. And they can come and repent. And they can then work out what they need to do. And so John says to them in verse 13, don't collect any more than you're required to. And the tax collectors had a set amount which they were required to collect and hand over. And they, but then they could collect as much more as they wanted to. But John says to them, don't collect more than you need to. It doesn't say don't be a tax collector. He says, but don't collect, don't claim more than you need to don't be greedy for selfish gain the soldiers are told something very similar in verse 14 look at that to the soldiers he says don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely be content with your pay you see the soldiers are not to use their position to extort money for selfish gain you see in these three groups of people we see what the response what the fruit should look like it positively we should do good to others. We should share what we have for the benefit of others. And negatively, don't be grasping for more at the expense of others. You see, the call is the same for us here this morning as it was then. If you're repenting, it will change you. And it will be seen in how you treat other people. You will start to think of other people as more important than yourselves. It will mean that you'll be taking opportunities to care for each other. And when we have some material possession, however precious that may be, we'll be willing to share that for the benefit of other people. Or if we have some ability or gift, we will be wanting to use that for the benefit of other people. 
I wonder, do you regularly think, how can I be doing good to other people? How can I be caring for them? Using what I have for their benefit and their good. On the other hand, we will, be, we will not be taking at other people's expense. So in your profession, you will not be abusing your position for selfish gain. And yet it's not just in those ways that we can rob other people. You can rob other people in your actions in many different ways through lying about them, through being envious of them, through sexual immorality with someone else. And so ask yourself, do I seek selfish gain at the expense of another? And if you think you are, then you need to stop. Dude, if we were all here producing the fruit and keeping with repentance, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? If we were a community of people in this place caring for each other like this, using what we have for the benefit of others, it would be wonderful. It would be a powerful testimony to what God has done in our lives through extending salvation in Christ. It would demonstrate how good it is to receive forgiveness and prepare for the coming of the Messiah. It would show how good it is to have faith in Christ. I wonder, are we such a community shining in, the, in this place? I see many examples of it. But maybe you can ask yourself, are you a part of that? You see, because that, that will only come about as we are individually preparing for the coming of the Messiah. So let me ask you, are you preparing for the coming of the Messiah by humbly repenting and producing the fruit of repentance? Because that's what John calls on us from this passage this morning. Let me pray as we close. Father God, we recognize that naturally we are those who stand against you, those who are therefore estranged from you and stand in need of forgiveness. And Father, would you help us to prepare for the coming of the Messiah by turning again to Christ in repentance? And Father, would you be producing in us the fruit of repentance, helping us again to consider how we may live for you in this world? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.